everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. There's no doubt about it. One of the great characters in the Bible that we've been reading about is a guy named David. David was a man after God's own heart. He came from obscurity. He defeated the behemoth Goliath. He was the toast of the town, a military genius, a poet, a musician, a warrior. Again, someone that knew God and loved him completely. When David was king, Israel was doing so, so well. They were doing well economically, well spiritually, well militarily. Everything was going great. David, though, like many of us, couldn't really handle success. I've never heard someone say, you know, failure just went to his head. (laughs) No, it doesn't happen. Success is what can mess you up. I was having dinner years ago with, with some leaders, and this leader turned to me and said, you know, Ed, did you hear about so-and-so? And I was like, no. And he told me the tragic story of someone, a Christian leader, who had slept in the wrong bed. A very successful person. A person who had so much going for him. And this gentleman looked at me and he goes, you know, Ed, it's weird, isn't it? He said, we don't fall when we're climbing the ladder. We fall when we're at the top of the ladder. It's windy at the top, literally. I've never forgotten that. That's the story of David. David didn't fall when he was climbing the ladder, but when he got to the top, that's when he fell. How could David fall? How could David, as I said earlier, called a man after God's own heart, how could David fall? How could this guy, this brilliant writer, this tactician when it came to military strategies, in fact, they still study his strategies at West Point today, how could someone like that, a guy who was so articulate, mess up. The Bible says just directly, David should have been at war with his troops. That's right, the Israelites were fighting. David should have been with them, but he stayed back at his palatial palace. And if you know anything about architecture back in the day, the palace was the tallest building The palace had a massive roof, and because of the heat and everything, ancient people would would walk around and use the rooftops a lot to dine and just, just for the cool air and everything else. The scripture says that David should have been at war, but he was just alone, doing nothing. We've all heard of this, you know, Idle mind is a dangerous mind. It, 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 it's, it's dangerous, isn't it, when we have just nothing to do. 
So David, if you think about it, was walking around on his roof, the scripture says, and he knew that, you know, a beautiful woman lived in a house close to his palace, and he knew when women would bathe, the sun would warm the water, and they could take a hot bath, and David was walking around on the roof, just, I'm sure, contemplating his success and thinking about how great he was, and he walked back and forth, then he walked kind of to the edge, I like to say, and the ledge. He knew what he would see, and he looked, and he saw Bathsheba, naked, taking a bath, Bathsheba, taking a bath. As I was doing some research on the different Hebrew names, I looked up the Hebrew name Bathsheba, and you pronounce it Kim Kardashian. I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Well, David looked at Bathsheba, and it's not the first look that gets you in trouble. It's the second and third look. He lusted for her. Now, I don't want to skip over lust. What is lust? Lust is a God-given desire, a desire for the opposite sex that's gone haywire. That's what it is. It's taking the gift of sex out of context. Because as I like to say, content out of context leads to chaos. And that's precisely what happened in David's life. So David, he should have been on the battlefield, looked at Bathsheba, lusted for her, then sent her that text message. Lisa and I were talking to a fantastic Christian therapist recently about the loss of our daughter. And then we began to ask her some questions because she deals with so many people in marital mayhem. And she said, she goes, I cannot tell you, I cannot even describe to you, Ed and Lisa, how many people have gotten in trouble with texting. I was like, you mean adults? She just started laughing. She goes, you have no idea. So David sent a text, read your scripture, to Bathsheba. Here's something that, that you probably don't know, I didn't know about Bathsheba. Had Bathsheba said no, she would have been killed. A little pressure. So David sent the text to her. She came to the palace. They slept together. Then David was like, I've got to do something. I mean, you know, I've got to, I've got to think fast. So obviously David messed up. He knew that she was married. He knew 
who Bathsheba's husband was. His name was Uriah. He was a great warrior, a great, a great fighter, someone totally loyal to David and to Israel and to God for that matter. So David sent for Uriah. I mean, this is a man after God's own heart. And said, Uriah, spend some time. I know you've been on the battlefield. Spend some time with Bathsheba. Just, just go ahead. Just have a date night, a romantic time. Here's a gift certificate to the Four Seasons. You, you, you guys just spend a weekend there. Uriah was having none of it. He was so loyal. He's like, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. I'm going to stay here at the palace. I'm going to sleep on the floor, on the marble. After the war and everything, David, then we can, you know, have fun together. But right now, I'm here. So David, you know, when you're fearful, you do some stupid stuff. David was freaked out. He had Uriah shipped to the front lines, and he instructed through his generals and everyone to have to have all of his troops to retreat, leaving Uriah out there. And of course, Uriah was killed. So you have David committing adultery. And then not only do you have him committing adultery, you have him killing the adulteress's husband. This is a man after God's own heart who has committed adultery, and now, murder. I remember one time, Lisa and I bought a bug zapper. A bug zapper is this contraption, it's a light, a blue light. It would supposedly attract mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes would just fly right into the blue light. It would electrocute them. I looked one day and there were just tens of thousands of mosquito carcasses <laughs> at the bottom of this bug zapper. I often thought, you know, man, bugs are stupid. Seems like they would get together, these mosquitoes, and go, hey, when Fred flies into that light, he doesn't come back. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Lust is that way, isn't it? It's that, it's that blue light, you know? And we keep flying right into zzz, zzz, wherever you turn. All sorts of people, white collar, blue collar, pink collar, clerical collar, men, women. Zzz, zzz. They just don't come back. I've noticed something about David that is so apropos to where we are. You have pride. You read about David, his success, as I said earlier, went to his head. Oh, I'm the man. I'm special. Then from there, he sort of segued into boredom as you read the text in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then from boredom, you, you want to do something to give you that hit, that fix, that satisfaction. 
So some people overspend, some people overeat, some people oversex. They sleep in the wrong bed. That's what happened to David. So this, this progression is you, you contemplate this immorality, the contemplation. And it's not a sin to have impure thoughts. I mean, we're, we're gonna have impure thoughts. It's just what you do with those impure thoughts. But the contemplation stage, what would it be like? I mean, just for a second, the enemy says, what would it be like to hold her? What would it be like to be with him? I'll bet he really understands me. He's so complimentary. She's so complimentary. Just, just, a, just a contemplation. Just, just, just think about it. You're not going to do it. You're the president of the company. You're the senior pastor. You're a staff member at Fellowship Church. You're a small group leader. You're a volunteer. You're a coach. You work in technology. You're in real estate. I mean, you've got to flirt a little bit to do the deals, right? It's just innocent contemplation. Then very rapidly, if we keep allowing the enemy to paint those pictures in our mind, then the picture gets more and more detailed then you have the flirtatious comments and conversations, and then you find yourself trying to be alone with the person around the neighborhood, the apartment complex, the office. After that, it's pretty much a done deal. You have the consummation of the act. I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings. You have the bride and groom. They look so great. So romantic. Rehearsing these vows. This covenant, this commitment. Looking into each other's eyes. Promising before God and Witnesses that they will remain faithful. They go off to this honeymoon. They're expecting for the rest of their lives commitment, purity, honesty. I mean, think about it. I'm doing this wedding and the last thing that they're thinking about is sleeping in the wrong bed. The last thing he's thinking about is connecting with someone he dated in high school or college or maybe met around the office. That's the last thing he's thinking about. The last thing she's thinking about 
is falling into the arms of someone else. But I've seen it far too often. They walk down the wedding runner. They walk back out of the church or the chapel or the cool venue somewhere in Cabo or Maui. And then several years later, there are statistics of what I'm talking about, of what the Bible is talking about, of what David got involved in. On one hand, I love that the Bible does not edit or Photoshop or airbrush or change any of the characters. It shows the raw and the real. On one hand, I like it. I mean, I do. But on the other hand, it's, wow, very convicting, is it not? I mean, it's like, wow, that happened to him? That, that happened to her? Contemplation and then consummation. Following that, there's a, there's a third step that's, it's, it's brutal. It's not brutal, it's brutal. It's the consequences of sexual sin. Now, don't, don't sit there if you're at one of our locations to go, wow, sexual sin, I mean, that must be like the worst of the worst. On one hand, sin is sin. If you commit adultery, if you have sex outside of marriage, that's a sin. We know that. If you exaggerate or if I exaggerate, if we lie, if we're greedy, that's a sin as well. However, you would be an idiot to go, man, the consequences are the same. An idiot. If I told you a little lie like I played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, 1985 through 1989 and had an opportunity to guard Michael Jordan, I could make up a story and you go, whoa, well, that's a lie. I mean, what would be the consequences? Well, Ed lied. This pastor lied, it's terrible. You might get upset and write me some scathing email or whatever. <laughs> he lied about that. He lied, okay. Consequences, not that big of a deal, right? Or if I told you, man, I caught, I caught a bass the other day, it weighed 12 pounds, but I knew down deep it was 7.5. I mean, am I gonna really get in trouble? You might be going, man, I've seen the photograph, that ain't no 10 pound bass or 12 pound bass, that's a little one, man. Consequences. Maybe I do that in a tournament and I'm thrown out of the tournament because I cheat. Well, no big deal. But if I step outside of the marriage, if I commit adultery, there's consequences 
are much, much greater. Hurts the heart of God. Devastate your marriage. I don't care what you say. It'll ruin your kids. In-laws, your family, your friends. Hurts the church. Hurts your career. And then you call in the lawyers to pick up the pieces. And they charge you squillions and squillions of dollars to do that. So there is a spiritual cost, the biggest one. There's a relational cost. (laughs) And there is a financial cost because more often than not, not always, adultery leads to divorce. Almost always, not always. And when you divorce, you split everything. And this is kind of an aside, one of the best ways to be financially free is just to stay married. (laughs) Adultery. Sexual sin. What do we do about it? In my book, This Experiment, Lisa and I wrote out some some commandments, the Ten Commandments, not the ultimate Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments of Purity that we adhere to in our marriage. And I want to challenge everyone to write out these Ten Commandments together if you're married or even if you're single. You can tailor them to you. Because you can't walk on the edge and the ledge of compromise. Because one misstep One trip up. Ah! You're in the abyss of rebellion, of consequences, and in the swamp of sinfulness. What was David doing walking on the edge in the ledge? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was looking for a Kardashian, wasn't he? I want to share with you our Ten Commandments of Purity, and I want you to watch as I give these to you and listen as I give these to you, whether you're single, whether you're a student, whether you've been married like I have for almost 40 years. I got married when I was two. The first commandment, these are our commandments. And you might have heard these before, but a good sermon's like a good song. You gotta hear it more than once. I shall have no other human relationships before Lisa, including our children, career, pastimes, 
whatever. Now we say that, oh yeah, my spouse is the most important thing. Is that true though? You can say it, but are you living it out? Because too many people I know don't have date nights. Too many people I know never travel alone, just the two of them. Oh, but marriage is the most important. Please, playa, are you kidding me? Even if it's a second marriage, your marriage comes before the kids. And I've seen too many second marriages put the marriage on the back burner. Even though they say, even though they say it's priority, they put the kids because of guilt, I understand, over the marriage. That's the first one. So see if I do that, I'm taking a step back from the ledge. Are you feeling me? That's just one step. Number two, remember your date night and keep it holy. Date your mate. I call it date night, mate night. Number three, honor Lisa on anniversaries and special days so that you may live long in the land the Lord has given you. (laughs) I learned the hard way because our first year of marriage, it was a special occasion and I gave Lisa a bathrobe, not again. A bathrobe? That was her reaction. Number four, I shall not take the covenant of marriage in vain. You don't flippantly talk about marriage. You don't casually just kind of throw marriage out or make marriage into something bad. You honor the covenant, the commitment. The marriage ceremony itself represents that. Number five, I shall not ride in a car or eat in a restaurant alone with a member of the opposite sex. Wow, you might be saying, you're a pastor, I can understand that. Well, I don't care who you are, don't do that. And if I need to explain that, wow, I mean, it looks bad when you're alone with someone like that, the contemplation will get deeper, the enemy will paint the picture in more detail, it's just a matter of time before the consummation and the consequences. Number six, well this is really for me, I shall not travel alone. I travel some, I speak some, different places here and other other venues, and I always take someone with me. If it's not Lisa, it's someone else, just again for accountability purposes. Number seven, 
See these steps? I mean, I mean are, you, are you following me here? I'm going, hope I counted them right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now I'm back here. Come on, David. I can barely even see Bathsheba. This is for me. I shall not counsel a woman with the doors closed. I'm a terrible counselor anyway, so that just doesn't happen. Number eight. I shall not share the details of our marriage with others. Oh, don't share that. Unless it's with a trusted, Christ-following therapist or counselor. Number nine, I shall not watch, read, or expose myself to sexually explicit shows, books, websites. To say that porn is a problem is the biggest understatement in the world. As I talk to leaders all over the place in different, maybe it's a Zoom, maybe it's uh, going to speak certain places. I've heard this so many times, I I can't believe it. These leaders are like, Ed, we're having a hard time hiring young people. Because as we look at them, so many are addicted to pornography. Pornography is addicting. It really is. Because it's, it's, it's the lazy man or lazy woman's sex. You can just touch a few icons on a glass screen and you can see unrealistic images of people doing all sorts of things. You don't have to work on a relationship. You don't have to live on the rugged plains of reality. You just watch these films, get your sexual hit, masturbate, whatever, and then you go on. Yet porn begs for more and more and more and more and more. I've seen it ruin lives. I'm talking about students, I'm talking about singles. I've seen it ruin marriages, I've seen it ruin families. It is absolutely satanic and brutal. So do what you have to do to stay away from that as far as your technology, as far as television. I mean, people can get porn now like that on their, on their iPhones. Number 10, I'm way back here now, look. I shall remember the implications of committing adultery. Wow. Think about those implications. So if I'm making these parameters and these commandments and laws back here, let's say I mess up on one of these. Boom. Let's say I mess up on another one. Boom. I'm a long way. A long way from the edge and the ledge of compromise. Just a few closing thoughts. 
What I'm talking about is all about God. If it weren't about him, why even, why even get married, you know? If it's not about him, if we're not created in his image, we're spawning salmon, we're dogs in heat. And sadly, that's what our culture is telling us. Number two, borrow pain from the future. When you start in that contemplation phase, fast forward it and borrow that pain. And number three, leave the ledge for good. Proverbs chapter four, 26 through 27, make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and keep your feet and your foot from evil. Marriage is amazing. Holiness is truly holistic. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness, there's grace. God wants to reboot and redo your life, and he can right now as you allow him to. Would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words, these, these difficult words, these direct words that we all need to hear about our sexuality. God, I pray that each and every day we would rely on you, that each and every day we would learn not only what to do, but what not to do from your word. God, give us the power and the strength of commitment, of covenant. Help us to make the marital grass so green that we don't want to look in other pastures. Thank you for the great marriages here. Thank you for the forgiveness and the grace that you've extended to us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening, and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.